Morning, everyone. I hope you can hear all right. Yeah. Matt's done a wonderful job of introducing, uh, gleaning to the reading, which is from Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Uh, we'll continue at verse 14, where it says, At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When Ruth sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. That's quite a few weeks worth, by the way. Uh, since, uh, sorry, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. Well, imagine a world where everyone looked out not only for themselves, but for others. A world where your welfare is as important to me as my own is. God often told ancient Israel to be just that kind of community and therefore to be particularly attentive to those who are in need. Jesus, of course, told us just the same. Now, sometimes God actually gave laws to ensure that this happened because you know, it's no good just talking about helping others, is it? Or just praying that they'll be okay and then doing nothing. So, for example, God said to Israel, uh, the crops at the edges and corners of your fields, do not harvest them. Leave them for the poor, the needy, the displaced, those without food, so that they can eat. And when you do harvest your fields or your olive groves or your vineyards, don't go back over them a second time to sort of pick up the bits you've missed or that have fallen to the ground. Leave it for the poor, the needy, the visitor. So long before any welfare system existed, these were principles that God gave about life. Life is not just about living for myself. And the things, uh, your things are not just your things, really. Your field, he said, is not just your field, actually, because life is not just about what you have yourself. My welfare, my own welfare, God was saying to us, uh, God says, our, our welfare and the welfare of others go hand in hand. Loving God means loving my neighbor as if they were myself. So when Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem empty, Ruth went out to glean in the fields, hoping that at the, at the end of a, what would have been a, an absolutely back-breaking day of work in the scorching sun, remember, hoping she maybe had picked up enough little bits of grain for her and her mother-in-law to have something at least to eat that day. And then the back-breaking work would begin again the next day and again the next day and so on. Think about what it's like for the many people in the world still today who are in that kind of situation, who are entirely dependent on the decisions and the whims and the moods of others around them who have when they haven't got. People who have only the possibility that perhaps or perhaps not of someone showing compassion. And that compassion is never guaranteed day to day for many people in this world still today. How precarious life is and how fragile and how harsh and relentless for many people. For Ruth herself in, in this book, there was the added vulnerability of her being a Moabite. As we said before, the Moabites were not viewed favorably in ancient Israel at this time. Uh, basically, Moab 
had failed to help the Israelites when they were visitors in need of bread in Moab. And very strong words have been written against them because of that. But now here is Ruth, a woman on her own, vulnerable, poor, without support, without protection, dependent on the generosity of others, a Moabite needing bread in Israel this time. Boaz and Naomi both say in this chapter how very real the danger was for Ruth out in those fields. What might people do when the boot is on the other foot now, when they see a Moabite now in need of bread? What do we do when we see our enemy, someone who's perhaps wronged us, in need? Jesus spoke about that, didn't he? About how we should resist the urge that we often have to return evil for evil. Instead, Jesus said we should love even our enemies and actually seek their blessing too and desire their good. Because, and why? Because Jesus said that is exactly what God does for us every single day. Ruth, it says, just happened to go to the field of Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. Now, we will see uh, next time and in the next chapter why that was so important. But of course, as we, as we read this book of Ruth, we realize that God is a, a silent presence through the, the whole thing. Uh, God is working through everything here to bring blessing to Ruth and Naomi firstly, but also through them to Israel and eventually through them to the whole world. From Ruth would eventually come Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world. So yes, Ruth just happened from her point of view upon this particular field, but the story tells us, this story of Ruth tells us that actually those everyday moments, even moments of hardship, can often be full of God. And he can be there in grace to work through things for good. And as Ruth gleams, Boaz himself arrives. And at the heart of this chapter is this wonderful conversation between them. And, and they both stand out as these wonderful examples of the kind of faithful love that often describes God in the Bible. As we've said before, the Hebrew word chesed, that's so important. It's, it's a love that is beyond the ordinary, beyond the expected. And it characterizes Ruth and Boaz. They are reflections of the light and love and life of God. Now, Boaz notices Ruth, and he's told that she is the Moabite from Moab. Uh, why say Moab twice? Probably because that's what people focused on most of all when they saw Ruth. Ruth would have been viewed with suspicion, viewed as a threat perhaps, and with a certain amount of disdain. And, and this is the moment of tension for us readers, because Boaz, as a, as a leader, an example in his community, he now faces a choice. How will he see Ruth? How will he address Ruth? How will he treat her, most importantly, how will Boaz, a leader in his community, treat this, this woman? It's actually the kind of choice we often face as we meet people, and particularly as we engage in society's conversation about who one another is. You know, will we only see the stereotypes, the name-calling, the rejections that, that will de dehumanize people? Or will we believe something new can be said? Will we see just difference or will we see the connections between us all? 
where we see the divisions or the possibility of reconciliation? And how will we act in our lives when, like Boaz here, we are in a position to either harm or help someone? You know, when we have a certain uh, power over another, or when we have the opportunity to actually project something important to our communities, whether it's at home in our families or in the place we live, or indeed as members of society as a whole and of the world, when we have an opportunity to project something important to our communities about how we do relationships, what will we do? How will we live and treat people? So, you know, will we offer protection to those like Ruth, who are often easy to either just ignore or ridicule or perhaps even blame and demonize? And that happens today still. Jesus told us it's often those very people the ones who are easily mistreated. It's those very people, Jesus said, who often reveal our hearts. As much as you either do or do not do it for the least of these, he said, well, you, then you either do or do not do it unto me. Jesus identifies himself with those least in society. Well, Boaz, in this story of Ruth, uh, comes to Ruth and he does not call her the Moabite. He calls her my daughter. Now, that's exactly the same as what Naomi called Ruth at the beginning of the chapter. In other words, just as much as Ruth was, the family, was family to Naomi, a daughter to her, Boaz now names Ruth in the very same way. And he's speaking her, you know, as a leader in his community, what he's doing is he's, he's speaking Ruth into a new place as a member of the broader family that he represented, the whole clan or tribe of Elimelech, of whom he was a leader. He, Boaz says, she's not just the Moabite, she's our daughter. And it is an incredibly important moment in this story. It's important for Ruth and for the Bethlehem community. And it was, it was almost certainly a controversial thing for him to do. Boaz is sticking his neck out here. He's putting his reputation on the line, some would have thought. But he does it because he believes it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that is honorable. It's the thing that is good before God and ultimately will bring good to the community. Now, the New Testament has a word for this kind of thing. Uh, as Christians, we often talk about hospitality, which we get from our translation of the New Testament. But hospitality has become, I think, a very watered down word, even misunderstood word. We tend to think it's about having friends over for tea and cakes or something like that. But the actual Greek word in the New Testament is philozenos, where philo means love and xenos means outsider, stranger, foreigner. So philozenia hospitality is the opposite of xenophobia, by the way. So Christian hospitality literally means loving outsiders, being a friend to those people who are often shunned because they are different, other, alien. And the New Testament says hospitality should be something that characterizes the church. It's an expression of the gospel. I want to read you something briefly that Daniel Hawke says about Christian hospitality. 
this love of the cultural outsider in whatever way. You know, it's the people who are pushed out to the edges of society. He says, Christian hospitality recognizes the humanity of those who have been excluded or rendered invisible by a larger society that defines human worth by constructing social differences and boundaries. Hospitality is therefore profoundly countercultural and even subversive. It witnesses to a vision of humanity that views even the least of these as those who bear the image of God. The practice in so doing witnesses to the larger community, challenging it to reassess the ways it determines, determines human value. I thought that was a really important point. Actually, the church's hospitality challenges society to think about how we view each other as human beings. Um, another writer, Christine Cole, says, hospitality resists boundaries which endanger persons by denying their humanness. It saves others from the invisibility that comes from social abandonment, the forgotten ones. And, and she says, through it, a vision for a whole society is offered, evidence that transformed relationships are possible. It is just what Boaz does in this story. Christian hospitality is having the courage to do what Boaz did, to resist society's stereotyping and often scapegoating and suspicion of those who come from outside. And instead, like Boaz, to say, we will treat Ruth like she's our own daughter. Because isn't that a better way to live? And isn't that what God does for us? Look at verse 14. At the centre of this chapter, we read of Ruth being invited to a table by the Lord of the harvest, Boaz, where he shares bread and wine vinegar with her together with the rest of the community. That's verse 14. Now, I don't think we can overlook that connection between that and the Christian communion table, where it is the Lord's table, Christ's table, and he calls us all to take bread and wine together in remembrance of his love for us all, to remember his courage, Jesus's courage, in staking his own life and reputation on us us sinners even, to remember Jesus, the greater Boaz, in other words, and his willingness to die on the cross for us, enduring the shame, enduring our sin, for the joy, we're told, of creating something new for us all. And the church expresses that something new. We express it at the Lord's table, but also in our life. We express it at our table, just like Boaz did at his. And if this is therefore pointing to who Christ is, and if our communion meal as churches represents the, this greater reality of God, which is at the center of the universe and which through which he is making things new, then it's also who we should be, not just when we're here around communion, it's who we should always strive to be. And through that, God will change things. Notice that Boaz does all this because he saw how Ruth had already done it herself. She had already done the same herself. She, he says, I've heard what you did, how you showed such love to one of us, to Naomi, leaving your home, coming here to care for her with all the sacrifice that that involved for you. 
So Ruth's love for Naomi had already shattered the stereotypes. She herself had accepted the vulnerability of giving herself to Naomi in her need. And, and it now led Boaz to do the same for Ruth. There is something contagious about sacrificial love, which is to say Christ-like love. I think that you see that in society as a whole. You don't have to be a Christian to be touched by someone's self-sacrificial deeds. Films are full of it. Stories are full of it, even if they're not Christian gospel films or stories, because there is something about sacrificial love that God has put in the human heart. And we know, we know that what Christ did for us is somehow the most important and fundamental thing in this world. Jesus said, love even your enemies. But, but why, he said, because, look, that's exactly what your father in heaven does for you every day. That's who he is. And he said later on, love one another just like I have loved you. Jesus is the greater Boaz, but he's also the greater Ruth. He became the vulnerable one. Jesus is the saviour who gave his own life for us, enduring even the cross for our sake. 2 Corinthians 8, I think it is, says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Christ emptied himself so that we and our emptiness might become full. It's just like the story of Naomi and Ruth. And such a love as that, as the love of Christ, is it spreads, it's contagious, it changes hearts, it changes lives and changes communities. Uh, the New Testament puts it like this, the love of God becomes spreadable abroad in our hearts by his spirit. You know, that's that contagion, I think, is part of the, the Holy Spirit's work in us and among us and around us as we take the gospel to the world. This is what our faith in Jesus leads to in our lives. Uh, do you know, Abraham, we're talking about our faith just, just finally. As, as I close, Ab Abraham is sometimes described as our forefather in the faith, isn't he? But it's quite interesting in this chapter because Ruth is depicted here as being just like Abraham. Uh, in verse 11, when Boaz describes what Ruth had done for Naomi, he says, uh, I've heard how you left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people you did not know. And it's very close to the wording of Abraham's call back in Genesis 12, where God told Abraham to leave his native land and his father's house and go to a land that he did not know, but which God would show him. And, and God said, as a result of him doing that, all the families of the earth would eventually be blessed through him. Well, here, Ruth's own step of faith and love is described in a remarkably similar way, deliberately so, I think. If Abraham is our patriarch in the faith, Ruth is like our matriarch in the faith. Her faith, her step of loving God and loving neighbor, it also became life-changing in her story, not only for her herself, and not only for her immediate loved ones, and not even just for this particular Bethlehem community 
here in this book. Eventually, it became life-changing for the whole world because from Ruth came Obed, and from Obed came Jesse, and from Jesse came David, and eventually from David came Jesus of Nazareth, the saviour of the world, and all the families of the earth are blessed through him. But remember, the New Testament says that by faith, we too become children of Abraham, to which I would add children of Boaz and Ruth as well. But most important of all, we become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 